For the final time this year, and in this decade, we're going to break down all the happenings of the independent baseball world here on the Indie Ball Report Podcast. All right, we're back again. Episode number 44 of the Indie Ball Report Podcast, presented by no one. You want to change that in the new year, contact us. Let us know. Anywho, we got a lot of stuff to cover, which is very surprising, you know, dead of winter and all that. And we're only about, let's see, what's today? Like the 27th? Yeah, 27th. So what, four or five days away from the new year? Yeah, so, we're getting there. We're getting close. Yep. So like we mentioned in the intro, very last show of the year, of the decade. Been a wild year, or wild decade, really, in independent league baseball. A lot of happenings. And we're going to break all that down, cover some of the more significant moments, significant players, basically the highlights of the past 10 years in, in Indie Ball at the end of the show. But before that, we got a uh, talk about Sussex, like we mentioned last week. So we'll review their offseason. We'll talk about the computer umps coming to Major League Baseball and the ump union surprisingly being okay with this and not making that a hill to die on. We're going to start off today's show with some talk on a league that we've neglected for a while. I mentioned it last week. Then earlier this week, I said I got something off my Christmas list. It is the Pacific Association. And upon further review, it's elite. That's the best way to describe it. So I think we'll jump right in with that. It's a league, all right. It's got a a whole bunch of teams in it and uh, less than it had before. Um, And it's a league. (laughs) To clarify that, or to expand on those thoughts, rather, We'll talk about it. So they're expanding to four teams this year. The Pacific Association of Professional Baseball. Or the PAC Association, whichever you prefer. However, there's an issue with expanding to four teams. Big issue. Because in 2019, they had five teams. Ooh. Some would say that's not actually expanding. Most would say, no. No, they're not expanding at all. In fact, uh, they're dispersing a team. They're losing one. Many would say that, yes. However, the many would be wrong, as in this instance, they started at three teams, because they lost two, and then they expanded to add another team. Oh. A team which, it seems like, has been widely criticized, you know, it's kind of like critiqued and criticized, if you combine it, has expanded to Fairfield, California. Right. This team has been widely critiqued. A lot of criticism. And that's because this team's name is going to be the California Dogecoin. Now, I know what you're wondering. What the uh, hell a Dogecoin is? Uh, good. Uh, it's a meme. Make it stop. Oh, this is painful. They named the baseball team after a meme that spawned a virtual currency. So it's technically named after the uh, virtual currency. It's kind of like Bitcoin is. It's a lesser known one, I suppose. And they decide, you know, it's a great name for our professional baseball team that pays our players to perform the game of baseball in front of a live studio audience. We're going to name them after a meme. And it gets even better because like the little stupid uh, currency symbol, like, you know, you have the dollar sign, the euro sign, all that. Right. They have that as their cap insignia. So it's uh, like a D with a line through the straight line, the D. Oh, God. Then they got the stupid looking like dog thing. <laughs> On their jerseys, you know, got a little rocket above right where the name would actually go above oh, the number. Oh, nice. Yeah, it's real stupid. Yeah, that could be, in fact, the dumbest name that we've covered on this show so far. It might be. It might very well take the cake as the absolute dumbest thing that has happened on this show so far. I mean, if you think about it from what we've talked about here 
uh, in the Indie Ball Report, in our you know almost year now of covering yeah. independent league baseball, we have never talked about something that is outside the realm of professionalism, uh, intellect, uh, class, and even as much as this uniform and uh, this team name is. Exactly, like you're spot on with that. Even like when we cover like more. Uh Sadder topics are kind of serious topics, like even in the beginning when we were giving uh, Mark Schuster a hard time. Right. And his name's come up in the not too, too recent past, or not too, too uh, far past, more recent past, I suppose. It was always the, well, he's failing at it, but there is failure in business. Right. Obviously, some people just can't hack it. And, mm-hmm. uh, and there's been other times, like even when we get kind of funny with it, with the peanut gig, the whole pinch the uh, blue crab deal. Right. Which, I mean, pinch is no joking matter at all. Like, come on, It's please. a ser- very serious topic. Like, come on, uh, take it easy now. Yeah, right. Even when we get kind of looser like that, or like saying, let's look at this high point uniform and hype the horse and all this type of thing. Right, right. It's always within the bounds of baseball. It's never like to, a, to be naming your team after a meme. Just an online joke that's supposed to be so kind of mixture of weird and awkward that you really have no other reaction but to go <laughs> what is that it's almost like a defense laugh i mean this is like millennial pandering and not even millennial right i guess it's uh it's ju- an it's an internet internet pander pandering it's pandering. trying to pander to people that i think have taken internet culture a little too far a little bit too and seriously have, perhaps and have, yeah and more integrated into their own personality to go well look we get to these kind of younger people i guess is what you're going for i don't think uh a lot of old timers are going to be going for that for the dogecoin no you're not thinking it yeah no i don't think they're gonna be pulling for the dogecoin there I mean, it's just, you know, the thing is, is that you think about traditional sports names, and it's okay to break from tradition. Oh, yeah, it's absolutely Florence fine. Florence made their mistakes along the way. And Which they, they still haven't announced their team name, and they're supposed to be out this week. Because they don't, you know, the fossil jockeys or whatever they are, the yeah, yalls the socks. or the nose socks or whatever, whatever. Yeah, the pop flies. There we go. Whatever, whatever, on, whatever they got going on over there in Florence. Um, but. Obviously, this is different, right? This is not a fan vote. This is just something that somebody thought was a good idea. And I think that tells you a lot about where uh, our society is right now in terms of what we're doing to pander to what we think uh, to or what certain marketing strategic uh, people think that is going to be a really popular or interesting thing, which uh, I don't think it's going to work out too well for them. Like you just said, it's fine to get out there. You can do that perfectly fine it doesn't even have to be that regular of a name that standard of a name nope i mean you see plenty of minor like names narwhals things like that which i <laughs> yeah, guess yeah. is kind Iron of like pigs and yeah whatnot. i mean narwhals even kind of plays on that uh internet culture thing there used to be that thing way back in the last decade where narwhals were a big deal for some reason uh, uh, uh any event it, you can get a little crazy there the firefoxes yeah. rumble ponies yeah, rumble ponies things like that you can get kind those of are fun there. they're cute but you know it, it comes across as a line it's, it's, not, it's just, just stupid because it's oversteps there's one thing when you're getting kind of fun and you're definitely can tell you're pandering to children and younger crowds something like a rumble pony right this is just like blatant just, it, I think what the problem too is it lacks any sort of creativity. It does. It sounds like something that if you're having a discussion with a group of your friends, you have the one guy that's just not into the conversation at all. They're like, why don't you just name it this? Right. Or, or the one person who's really into memes and just says, oh yeah, I'll name it the Dogecoin. Yeah. Try, 
Yeah, the one person that thinks they're real funny. Yeah, yeah, they're yeah. real funny. It seems like some kind of a snide remark. This is a, you went back to the, the one of those groups in Ottawa. You thought that they were like just a bunch of guys in a bar saying, ah, I want to, I want to yeah. buy a team. This is that. This seems very much like that. Like, ah, you know, what do we name it? Eh, we'll just call it the Dogecoin. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. fine. And the funny thing too is it's a California league. And I know this would be extremely hard to pull off, but if Venice, California, if they had a ball field for that there, you could have named like the Doge of Venice. That has historical relevance to it. Or quite literally anything other than Dogecoin. Like, you could have kept Doge. I mean, Doge technically does have some significance if you go back to, like, the Venetians and things like that. Now, granted, that's historical and it's really, again, lofty, and it's probably going to flower the heads of most, but right. still. But at least you'd have... a basis. Right, at least you'd have something a little bit more, I don't know, concrete than a, a meme on the internet, so... Exactly. I, I mean, yeah. I think also there's not much of a history, there's not much of building to it, because, I mean, if you look... Like, I know, uh, I'm going to go back to the Norwals there that used to be the Connecticut Tigers. I believe they're in Norwich. It's close enough to the sea where you're like, okay, the sea creature, I guess you could kind of go there. Rumble ponies, I guess there is some sort of backing on that. Even Staten Island, when they tried to do the pizza rats for a little bit, I could see what they're going for there. Right, I mean, you, there just, are plenty of, this is not to say that there aren't silly independent league baseball names or that silly independent league baseball names are a bad thing. It's just that this one is particularly horrendous. <laughs> exactly. I think kind of moving from this to more of a wider look on the league here, this really isn't that surprising. As they had, they've been losing teams. Uh, Martinez was one they lost recently. Um, they lost Pittsburgh as well. Now they're going to be losing San Rafael again. They just, the Pacifics, they, that's their name. They had just won uh, the league championship this past year and have been widely considered the most successful of these teams. They left their new destination as undetermined, if I had to guess. I have two real kind of uh, ideas. I think the Pecos League makes sense as a landing spot. The other one is the new uh, Western League that has only the Henderson Hoots in there at the moment. So I could see that making sense. They wanted to go into California and they do have a brand, however limited it is. So there is that that exists. It makes sense there. It gives you some stability. There's always the one team that's in Nevada. So California to Nevada. I'm not sure how far San Rafael is from Henderson, which I believe is just outside of Vegas. So I'm not 100% certain there, but that could be something to look at. I think the Pecos League is probably most likely because that's where the new Martinez team's going. We talked about it a while back that they were debating about getting a team, and now that one's through. They're going to be called the Mackerel, and they're going to go to the Pecos League. And the following sentence is about is about to be one that I never expected to actually have to say. Deep breath, folks. Take a deep breath before you hear this. And rest assured, you will be hearing this correctly. So I'll wind up saying it twice here. First. The reason why the Martinez Mackerels will not go back to the Pacific Association, despite their owner wanting to be in the Pacific Association, they picked the Pecos League over the Pacific Association for stability. I will say that again, just to make sure you fully grasp it. This new team in a former Pacific Association market chose to go to the Pecos League over them, despite wanting to go back to the league the team was last in, because of stability. The Pecos League is more stable than the Pacific Association to them. Oh boy. That tells you everything you need to know about both the Pacific Association and the Pecos League right there. Let me tell you, oof. It's, and the sad part is, he has a good point. 
He does. As, he does. T- as terrible as the Pecos League really is, and I, I really do mean it's bad. Like it's, it's normally I go, you know, like it's not great for everybody, but it's its purpose. No, it's bad. You're being paid fifty seven. You're getting fifty seven dollars a week. Yeah. You're playing like, and some eight. guys are paying the league. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You can. That's an option. Pay two thousand dollars playing the league, which I mean, that's not great deal there. That's uh, a pretty bad deal there. <laughs> That you don't really get supply, you don't get equipment, you don't get anything like that. You don't really get uh, accommodation, so rooming, food, things like that. You're kind of on the hook there, which at $57 a week is really hard to swing the work. Plus, you're playing about 85 games in about 90 days, which is just lunacy. Just insane. Where you got five off days over three months. It's extremely difficult. Plus, how are you ever going to practice? I mean, you're going to do a morning practice and then immediately go to a game four or five hours later. I mean, you probably don't want to do that. So it's it really is the drenches there, independent league baseball. Yeah. But at the same time, they're not losing teams. Right. I mean, the guy that more than four. Yep. The guy that owns the this new Martinez team owns 12 other Pecos League teams. So if you thought Dorso was bad. This is, uh, he's got 12 other teams. He can start a league of his own what teams, to be quite honest. On here? The Pecos League has a low, very low standard of entry. Hell, I think we should, that's what we should do. We should start like a GoFundMe to get one of these teams to buy a Pecos League team. I think we could do this. <laughs> and pl- think of it like this whatever we come up with. No matter where we get a team, what we name it, it can't be worse than the California Dogecoin. It will not be worse than the Dogecoin. There's no doubt. The, the stability is an issue. And currently, as of right now, the four teams that are going to be in for 2020 in the Pacific Association, the Vallejo Admirals, the Napa Silverados, the Sonoma Stampeders, and the f- California Dogecoin. <laughs> Oh boy! I mean, you know, the Pacific Association is in—it's uh, in some dire straits right now. Let me tell you. Plus, I just want to also toss out there. Uh, I know last time we were talking about them really doing the whole car puff thing and whatnot. Right, right, right. Uh, the commissioner was Theo Fightmaster. Theo's no longer the commissioner, though. We are not. Uh, we are no longer fightmastering. He didn't master the fight, apparently. Now it's Jonathan Stone's job to be the commissioner of this league, so that's good for him. Three commissioners and like. A year and a half is always a solid base. Bless you know. his heart, let me tell you. <laughs> Going again to apparently the Pecos Lake is more stable. This is this is terrible news. This it's, is uh, it's difficult, you know. It's I mean, really hurt my wish list, I'm not going to lie. Yeah. It really doesn't look like anyone's jumping up. It's, so it really seems like all the eggs got to go in the Western League basket. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's sad because I think that there is definitely a need for one of these leagues to really jump up. And unfortunately, it just has not happened and really has gone the other direction if we're looking at this Pacific Association right now. My my goodness. Oh, yeah. No, it's definitely gotten... It's getting worse. It's... You can't... You can't be doing this. First off, you have four teams in a league. It's already not great. I mean, last year we saw with the Canaan League, six teams wasn't great. I mean, when you have two-thirds of the league making the playoffs, you had Rockland that wasn't even 500 making the playoffs. Yeah, that was bad. Like, I'll assume now we're just going to have a championship one, but even then, half the league's in guaranteed. Like, you need, in my mind, you need at least a 10-team league. Yeah. I mean, like, you could get by with eight. It's fine. 
But it, it, there is a lack of something when half the league makes the postseason. It just doesn't seem right. Yeah. Plus, to have two divisions of four teams each seems a bit off. It I think does you need. Seem a bit off. Yeah, I think you need five in each. Yep. So that way you have this stakes thing. Plus, you take the top two of each, or you take the top ones and then two wild cards, or however you want to divvy up your playoff system. It just seems like it works a lot better in my mind there. And when you get to the four teams here, it's it seems very kind of awkward already they're drawing about 200 to 300 a game so it's not like you're raking in fans here no 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 you know so it's it's very clear to me that they're they're struggling a bit because already the league reminds me an awful lot of like an american legion game yeah i mean i I think they're just not gonna be long for the indie ball world here i don't know how much longer uh unless uh, mr stone's got some uh, magic stones. Yeah, unless he got some magic up his sleeve or something. I don't know how he's going to be able to turn this league around if a new team that would, that was once in your league is let, that is, you know, kind of obviously disband and we had a whole carp off thing, the whole thing. And now they're coming back and they want to be in your league again. And they think, well, it's just not stable enough. You know where we're going to go? We're going to go to the Pecos League. That's way more stable. Oh, boy. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I almost wish you'd see a couple of these teams, because there is of these that are left. I do like Vallejo and Sonoma. I think they are well-ran enough for what they are to be able to make that kind of next move. Maybe just because I'm getting full, because I like the logos and and the design and appearance of them. But they do seem like they're genuinely pretty good. They're fairly active on social media. They do manage to get a lot of their games up for streaming, which... I mean, granted, that's just a dude with a tripod and a camera that got internet access. But again, it's essentially like walking to your local park and watching a professional baseball game. So, it that again, it, it is what it is. They seem like if they were given a better budget, the people in charge could be making them better. I'd almost like to see them go to the Western League, give them a nice base to begin with. Just hopefully see them go to some other markets there. Maybe swipe some of the upper tier Pecos League teams and try and build up that league. The current league is not going to be off the ground in time, I don't think, for 2020 like they were originally planning. No. I mean, you got one team in what's going into the new year. I'm not sure what kind of conversations they're having and whatnot. And uh, at some point, once I figure out the whole tech issue here, we may uh, try to get someone from there on because I'd like to talk to them and go, yo, what's the deal with this currently? Yeah, what's going on here? Yeah, because I, they, they, have, a, they have a plan. But it's just not seeming to go their way at the moment. So I'd like they to... have a plan. Apparently, so allegedly they have a plan. Yeah. So I mean, I'm just hoping that works out. I think uh, we could kind of move on now because we beat this league death. We're giving them more airtime than we probably have on every other episode combined at this point. Yep. But it's still, it's just, it's an interesting thing to see. And like you said, the market is that Western Park can work. Oh it's yeah. It's just a matter of it needs the right people the right resources and everything just needs to come together correctly. For they need work. to find their Frank Bolton. Exactly. Once you can find one like that, oh boy, it's off to the races. Oh yeah. So we'll move on now to computer umps to major league baseball. This one's going to be kind of a quicker topic, but it's good to have like a nice little kind of breather topic in between before we get into some more uh, heavy discussion based topics. Essentially the ump union agreed to uh, implement and develop and test the automated balls and strike system. So basically what you saw in the second half of the Atlantic League, they're going to be beginning to test that in affiliated minor league for as long as that exists. And they're going to start to integrate it into Major League Baseball. 
they agreed to try and help and work with Manfred and Major League Baseball to try and get that to work at the Major League level. And currently, the only unknown is whether or not the Players Union has to sign off on it being used or not. I don't imagine they would, though. I don't think that would be uh, something that they would have to. Is It's not really a matter for them. I no. mean, they may, they may throw up something, seeing as how much the Arizona Fall League really didn't like it. As much as we see in the uh, Atlantic League about the touch and go of it. Right. I mean, I, I think this does two things. So, for the MLB, I think this is a good thing for them as they move toward the future. I think that's the positive in that way. Uh, and I think this is really a good sign for the Atlantic League because this shows that what is happening in the Atlantic League has fruit for Major League Baseball. And so, this will make Major League Baseball give more resources to the Atlantic League, um, or at least give it uh, longer on this kind of contract that they have with them here, this partnership, if we're going to call it that, um, and see kind of how this works. Uh, and, and, and they would, it's at least in this way, uh, can be positive for the Atlantic League that you can look at it and say, all right, well, this will help them you know, to kind of solidify this deal for the future because something positive has come out of it for Major League Baseball. They've gotten something out of it. Uh, the question is, if you're the Atlantic League, you, you know, yeah, do you still about, want this partnership? Yeah, I was about to say that. It's like, is it a good thing that Major League Baseball is going to be giving them more resources and telling them what to do more? I mean, like, what's going to come about next? That. You yeah. Know? Oh, yeah, I don't know if it's a good thing, but I, I know that's probably what will happen. Oh, yeah, no, I think they're going to be able to go, oh, it worked. Now we can really get wild with it. Yeah. I think, again, the thing with automated balls and strikes, I think we're both on the same page, and a lot of people are on the same page that seem to talk about it. It's not that the system itself is wrong and terrible. Instead, it just needs correcting. And I think that once you see it get to the major league level, I think you're going to see it, it become more of what we expect it to be. Right. A much higher success rate than we've seen. Because realistically, it's like a lot of things. When it first rolls out, it's never going to be 100% right. Agreed, yeah. But it has a decent base. And as the years started to go along, it seemed like it, it got better. Plus, when we talked to the one ump, and he was saying, we, I still got authority to overrule a call or two. Like, it's not that I have to follow it. I do have veto authority on it. It's just I'm supposed to follow it. Right. That might have been only that ump, but still, yeah. the point remains. Yeah, I think it was just crew chief. Right, just so, a crew chief, yeah. Which, fair enough. Which, fair I mean, enough. I, you should have that veto in there for one that's way off. So yeah. It's just something that's in the dirt and it's called a strike on the thing because that's just how it's reading it. Right. Even though traditionally that's not a strike, even though it technically clipped part of the strike zone. Right, yeah. It it clipped part of the strike zone and hit the outside corner before it dove, you know, 30 feet into the dirt, you know? So. Exactly. So I think having that kind of veto authority there, I think just improving it a little bit. Agreed. Tweaking yeah. it to be more of what the traditional standard has been for what you expect it to be, so that way you don't need the veto all the time. Right. So that's something where I thought, I think you kind of got to get together with all the umpires and go, look, you're allowed to overrule a couple of these a game, but we don't want you just overruling every other pitch from the call there, because then it just defeats the purpose of the system, you know? So I Right. I mean, I, I think that especially in crucial moments, it's necessary. But look, if it's a 7 nothing game in the fifth inning and the ball is a little bit lower than you would like it to be and the thing calls it a strike, call it a strike. Exactly. You know, you see... Because the one umpire I have in mind for Major League Baseball is Angel. Oh, uh, yeah. I can see him just saying, 
I'm not listening to the machine. I'm calling my own balls and strike. Cowboy Joe West. <laughs> yeah, Joe West, another guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah, like guys like that, you have to lay down the law with them. And go, look, you're using the machine 95 percent of the time, like everybody else is. You're not calling your own strikes. Yeah, like then that, and if you do have that happen, like you're saying, it just defeats the purpose of having the thing. If you're just giving them unlimited veto power, but I think, I mean, I think that that it should be reviewed after every game yeah. with the umpires and say, okay, this is why you vetoed it. All right, that makes sense or it doesn't don't do that anymore um and i think importantly like i said i think it has to be situationally i think you have to know like if it's saying a strike and it's just too low or too far outside in your opinion as an umpire and it's bottom of the ninth three two count you have to make the call that is the right call for um for the situation for the situation you can't be like oh yeah strike three get out you know and the ball's three feet outside and you're like well i don't know if the machine got it right on that one so yeah and no, i i agree with that i think you gotta keep it to more of a traditional strike zone at least the very beginning right to kind of at get, least early on you have to get guys used to this is what the new strike zone is going to be yes you can't just throw them in like we saw in the atlantic league which is why you saw all the problems where it's just this is what it is now good Tough. luck <laughs> exactly so i I'd like to see that more, but what I do like to see here with this move, and something I don't think a lot of people typically think about, is I wonder how many Atlantic League umps you're going to wind up seeing now go to Major League Baseball. I think you could see more. I think you could actually see more because they're trained with it. Exactly. They have that experience using the system. They're going to be more comfortable around it. They're going to know how to react and read it first. I think that's going to be... I think you're going to see a handful of guys. Hopefully our guy, uh, Tim McCaffrey, gets up there. I mean, come on. Tim Tim is the Gotta best. Gotta love Tim. Tim could be the best umpire I've ever seen. Uh, I mean, before they started doing these rule changes, Tim was always in the Atlantic League. Now I'm hardly seeing him on the, uh, on, like, the scorecards, seeing Tim as an ump. Yeah, and it's know. very disturbing to me because he was pigeonholed in the Can-Am for a while. And as much as I do like seeing Tim in there, he needs to move up. We need more umpires like Tim. To to make that next jump. A level-headed guy, a good guy. A fair guy. A fair guy. He knows how to call the balls and strikes. I think he was actually working the, uh, oh, was it game four of the championship uh, game see, for the can That's because they broke out the big guns. Exactly. They knew. they knew they needed their guy. And they were given, he was behind the plate, if I'm right, or he, one of the games he wound up behind the plate. And they were giving Tim all sorts of hell for the balls and strikes. I was like, no, nah, that was a good call. I mean, it was a good call. Just because I went against your team does not mean it was a bad call. I'm telling you, Tim. Tim's right on it, always. We'll move on now to more talk on Sussex, as we just alluded to them. We'll go into more of a deep dive on them, because I believe their offseason has just been fascinating so far fascinating. to this point. Fabulous. As there's just been a whole, a whole slew of moves happening there. We got former miners coming back. We got former miners that are able to come back. Guys that were longtime stalwarts that are not going to be back, <gasps> that were going to move, they got traded, we got stud players, all sorts of things that are happening. So as you've probably seen or saw on our uh, Instagram page, Indie Ball Report, former miner, Kenny Copelove, he did get released, he is a free agent, so maybe he comes back, maybe he doesn't, that depends on age. We also see a lot of trades happening. Uh, fan favorite, Jared Madero's got moved to Washington, I believe that was more of a roster compliance type move Yep. for Blake Adams there. We saw Jose Jose, one of the better setup men in the league, get moved to complete a previous trade with Winnipeg. Yep. Tragic. We, yep. Uh, we saw Frank Duncan get traded out to Kansas City, I believe. Let's see. It was Austin Bigger and 
John Brontsema that were going back there, and a player to be named later in that move. And then Jeff Thompson got traded as well. And there's a whole slew of options here. We'll go through the options really quickly just to uh, make that known who's uh, going to be back, who's not going to be back. So, exercised options. This was on December 4th. So, some of these guys aren't with the team anymore because they got traded or released or whatever it may be. But they did exercise the options on these guys. Tom Burns, Gavin Stupinski, Tyler Clark, Jordan Scott, Tita De La Cruz, Andrew Gist, Kevin Grindle, David Palladino, Jose Brizuela, Ryan Newell, Trey Hare, Giannando Trump, or Trimp, Breland Almondova, CJ Rutherford, Corey Jones, Cito Culver, Nick Saharian, Randon Downs, Adi Siriaco, Daniel Herrera, Austin Bigger, John Brunsima, and Blake Adams. Those, those guys were slated to be back. Now, guys that are actually in, guys that are actually out. This is a major difference from that list. Right. <laughs> so, guys that are not returning. So, these are the guys that got traded or weren't re-upped or whatever it may be. The one's getting out. Jose Jose, he went to Winnipeg, I said. <gasps> Jeff Thompson, I believe he was dealt to Lincoln for Daniel Herrera, I believe was the move there. Frank Duncan, we went through him, what he just got traded for. Jeremy Medeiros, went through him, what he got traded for. Ryan Newell, who was part of a trade with John Bronsema, so both of them are out and coming back, are going to be, I'm going to butcher some of these names, but such <laughs> as life on this show, you should know by now. Yeah, it happens. Yep. Juan Agalria, we're going to go with that, probably butchered it, sorry about that one, Juan. Uh, Tyler Falwell, Falwell. He's awesome that deal. And Adam Sasser. Those three will be coming back. Now, looking at those three in this trade, we're going to break that one down first here. So Newell went out, probably the best closer in the Can-Am League last year, as well as John Bronsima, who was a productive player for Rockland, then got moved to Kansas City, who then got moved to Sussex, who's then been traded again. So he's, he's on the he's on he's the get, march there. <laughs> he's racking up those airline miles is what he's doing. He is, yes. So... Uh, Juan there, he's 23. He had a 5.40 ERA in 23 and a third innings, 23 strikeouts, 15 walks. You know, that's... Uh, live and die by the sword. Yeah, live by the sword, die by the sword, you know. throws Probably throws hard yeah. uh, from those numbers, probably throws hard. But he's got a 5.4. Uh, 5.4, but that was only in 23 innings. That's an inflated ERA, but given only 23 innings, I'd like to see what he's got. Uh, we'll see how he does if he winds up making it to the uh, final cut there for uh, the minors. Then we got Tyler Falwell, 24 years old. A 3.13 ERA, so 3.13. 74 and two-thirds innings, 104 strikeouts for 35 walks. That's a pretty good one. It's pretty good compensation. Obviously, um, you're trading away a good player, but you're getting good return back on him. Yeah. Uh, then we got kind of a utility guy. Both of those guys were right-handed relievers before him. Right. So now we have more of a utility guy, uh, kind of corner infielder, can play second base as well, can play the corner outfields. In Adam Sasser, 23 years old. He, was, he batted 223. He slugged 323. And then he also had an OPS of 618 with four home runs. So, I mean, not overly eye popping statistically, but what you're going to get in terms of a utility guy could be very important, especially if, uh, you know, you have guys moving on, guys get hurt. He could be an important guy come later in the season. Yeah. 
Uh, Mikey Reynolds is back. Ooh. He got traded from High Point, completed a previous trade. So, and that trade was sending him to High Point. So he got traded for himself essentially. There you go. <laughs> he was the player to be named later. <laughs> there we go. Surprising how it. Great, obviously great to have Mikey Reynolds back. A uh, very, very talented player. Uh, was a guy who's really had some success in Sussex. Yep, uh, fan favorite. Fan favorite. So it'll be great to see him back uh, next year. Yep, and I assume they're going to use a slot on him. So it's a good use of it. He's a, definitely also a utility guy. He's more than just an infielder or an outfielder. Yep. Like you said, he's a productive guy. He hits well. He fields well. He, he's a solid guy to have. Good locker room guy from uh, everything that I've seen. Yep, and I believe so far he's been doing well in winter ball in Australia, too. So that's always a positive. That's really good, yeah. Yep. All right, so then they also signed Derwin, I think it's Pomar. Yeah, Derwin Pomar, 25 years old. Uh, I looked him up in baseball reference. The last time he had any stats was back in 2014. When he was playing in rookie ball for the Padres. So I'm not sure where he's been since. I'm not sure what he's been doing. This could be a steal. You never know. It could be a, a scouting <laughs> a scouting gem by Justin Ferrella himself. Yeah. Pull, pulling out the pulling out the magic juice here. You never know. He is him and Bobby Jones. I never under, underestimate six that years. duo. Look, he's due. <laughs> He's doing. It's he's been due. six years. It's been six years. No, I mean, obviously, he's kind of fallen off the grid a little bit, and it's interesting to see why you know why you bring this guy in. Obviously, there's some talent there, uh, and if Bobby Jones and Justin think that this is the guy to to, to you know put on the roster, we'll see what happens when uh, you know when they kind of break for spring training and everything. Exactly. I mean, maybe he has been playing, but I use Baseball Reference, and they're very reliable, so I I gotta trust them on this one. So, like you're saying. They probably saw something, but uh, it's a. We'll see if he makes the roster. I have my yeah, doubts. Yeah, I mean, he's an, I mean, plus he's an infielder too. So I, I mean, it's you know touch and go on that yeah. one. And in any case, they also signed Jet Manning. He is Ooh. a uh, infielder, but he's also mainly a shortstop. He played in affiliated baseball last year. I believe it was High A Augusta and uh, Single A. His combined numbers for the twenty-three-year-old was. Uh, 230 batting average, 310 slugging, 618 OPS, and a home run. So, I mean, he's he's a fine player. Yeah, it's good, it's good to see guys like that get a second chance, maybe retool a little bit. You know, he's young, he's only 23. Yeah. Um, so, you know, he's a guy who you can, you know, kind of maybe mold a little bit, get, in a, get under a good manager like Bobby Jones and mold a little bit, uh, and we'll see what happens. Maybe if he has a really good year, he can catapult himself back into the affiliated ranks. I'm noticing there's a large trend, though. A lot of the guys they dealt off were kind of that older brigade, the kind of really started to bring the Myers up into Providence, the playoff run guys, the championship guys, a yeah. lot of them. It seems like the old guard's out. They're bringing in a lot of these 22, 23, 24-year-old guys. To As try they and, have to. Exactly, because of the new roles. I think they're going to try and really develop these guys over the next three to four years, so that way they can try. Maybe this year's not their year. Maybe it's next year they go, we can get back to a championship game again. Then we could, then we'll have our two or three more years where we got a window. I, I almost feel like that's what they're trying to do here, where they're making this a retooling year because they, well, they have to. I mean, every year, every year in these, these leagues is a retooling year, but, but uh, some more so than some others. Some more, more so than others. And I think this year in particular, because of the way that, uh, the league has, you know, been integrated now, you have this different league. I think they're going to have to obviously make these changes. And as a result, like you said, I don't know if they'll be the team to beat that they, like they were in the Can Am League, but we'll see what happens. Yep. 
So we'll go now to Austin Bigger, one of the guys in the Duncan trade. He's 22 years old, and these numbers are his pro numbers, but he only has four pro games. As it was his, it was his last year at the University of Georgia last year. Okay. So he had better numbers in college, obviously. Obviously. Yep, he's 22. And in the four games he did get to play professionally, he batted 222, uh, slugging out 556. So solid slugging number. And he had an OPS of 919 and a home run. So in four games, I mean, it's a ridiculously it's small sample a size. A tiny sample size. I mean, that sounds fine for four games. I mean, what exactly. You, I mean, you know, those first four games, what are you going to do? Uh, exactly. Just in the professional hitting, too. I mean, yeah. sure, SEC is a very high level of baseball. Sure. But still, going from college to professional is a jump to make. Huge jump. Huge jump. And yeah. it's not like he was going to a smaller league here, like, uh, say, an Empire League or something like that. He right. was jumping into an American Association League where, I mean, it's... Uh, it's a high tier league, you know. It is. It's a it's the real deal. And so it's clear to see why, you know, I mean, those numbers were, you know, fine for, you know, someone who's going through four games. So we'll see what happens. Um again, like you're saying though, that emphasis on young, talented players but not proven players seems to be the theme uh so far. Which I'm now starting to think here. Last year, I think we can both agree, one of their major Achilles heels in Sussex was the lack of a solid catcher. Oh, they yeah. never really had that. They were always kind of... Rotating a little yeah, bit. Yeah, guy of the week type thing there. Yep. And we saw in game one of the final, that was a major, major issue. I mean, that's how the game-winning run scored on a wild pitch. Yeah. Now, granted, it was a wild pitch. just but not still. He wasn't able to block it. But still, right. there was other times where you need to block something that wasn't blocked well, and the guy advanced. And so it comes down to you need to be defensively sound. Yeah, and it seems like they can never really find that. And then Gavin Stupinski wound up being that guy for a while, and then Tyler Clark kind of was doing that. Yeah. And both those guys will be back, and I assume Gavin will have a larger role. Tyler, I think, is going to be more fighting for playing time, but still, right? You have those two. You have Bigger who's coming in, and then you also will have Daniel Herrera, which we'll get to in a second. That you, it seems like you have an awful lot of competition there, and I assume at least one is going to wind up being cut here. And yeah, if not two, I mean, exactly. I, and I, I think Clark would be the guy at the moment. Yeah, I mean, I, it'll be interesting to see who takes that spot. I'm interested in this kid, uh, bigger because he's from obviously the SEC. He's from Georgia, so it's interesting to see how that transition uh, can be made. Perhaps he'll have a really good, you know, early part of the season. Maybe he makes the team. Maybe he doesn't. We'll see what happens, but. Uh, so he's kind of the, uh, an interesting guy to watch, especially because you've got him for so long. If you do, uh, you know, are able to keep him, you don't have to worry about age restrictions or anything like that. You can just, you know, if he's good, you can just keep him all the way through. Um, so and, you'd have about, what's that, five, six years? Five, six be years problem. before you got to worry about anything. So that would be an interesting one. And it goes to your point of them trying to find that window. Um, but I, I do think that catcher is always a position that because of injuries and just the toll that it can take on a player, it might be one where you really need to uh, have four guys in there and True, evaluate if you, them. If you're keeping four guys, then you kind of make sacrifices elsewhere. Cause you oh, I'm, so not saying keeping, I'm not saying keeping four guys. I'm saying it's yeah. really good that they're having they four have guys right guys. now. Yep. Yeah, yeah. No, I see what you're saying. There. I was just kind of... I was just making the point of he can't carry four. Right, no, no, you can't Even carry four. Even if they're going to say, okay, well, you can be a corner outfielder and a first baseman, too. Still, still it's You can't dedicate that many guys because if you're going to do that... Then, three max, three max. Exactly, because otherwise, I think the place you're going to have to cut people is probably your bullpen. And you and don't want to do that. <laughs> exactly. As we saw, a bullpen can win you a championship. It doesn't matter which level it is. I mean, take a look at no further than New Jersey last year. Oh, yeah. 
We're going now to Blake Adams, the guy they got from Maderos. He's 24 years old, batted 249, a slugging of 411, and an OPS of 744 with seven home runs. A little bit of power. He's mainly a left fielder. So, you know, he's, he's a pretty average guy. I think he'll help his numbers out a little bit playing in Sussex. At least the, uh, not so much the power numbers, but the average and get on base numbers. Yeah, he's an average guy. And again, another interesting pickup that you got to kind of wait and see where he'll kind of go. I mean, you might have some talent there. So it's interesting to see that pickup and how that works out. Yep. And then we'll go now to the final guy we have here. Plus, they also do have a player to be named Blair, which will probably turn out to be like Mickey Mantle or something. But <laughs> we don't know that yet, so we can't say for certain. And Daniel Herrera. He is 23 years old. He was in Lincoln last year. He was part of, I believe, that Thompson trade, like I mentioned earlier. And he batted 208. He had a 306 slugging and a 519 OPS with three home runs. Yeah, I mean, again, this is just more depth, trying to see, getting bodies in and seeing who can who can stick, kind of, who can gel with that pitching staff and who can really take over. He offensively is just not going to do a whole lot for you. Yeah. Obviously, hitting 203 um, with three home runs. So, obviously, there's not a whole lot of offense going to be coming from him. But uh, if defensively he can do the job, he might be a guy who you see get some playing time. He's having a guy like Herrera. I could definitely see them running with Stupinski because they know what they have in him, and he had a very good postseason. I think he, he, he did. batted about 500 in that. So <laughs> yeah. I mean, you hit, get a hit half the time, you get on base over half the time that you get up on the plate. You can't beat that. Can't beat it. So I imagine he's probably your front runner going in. I think you got to keep um, bigger. I think his potential is too much to cut him at this point unless he has a really bad spring. Which and even is then, <laughs> I think you bring him in for at least May. Yeah, I think you got to at least give him give him a few at-bats and see how he does, yeah. Yeah, and then I feel like now you have to pick between Clark, who's older than uh, Herrera is, and I think you go Herrera just based on youth. Uh, youth and also, I think, defensive prowess as well. Yeah, I mean, they're, I say they're comparable on defense. So if you're going to say they're basically the same guy you go with the younger you go guy with the younger guy yeah it just makes more sense there so that's what they got coming in i'm gonna ask the question to you now from the guys that are going in who's the one that you look forward to the most seeing uh so selfishly it's gonna be mikey reynolds i think yeah. that he is really gonna be that energizer again good clubhouse guy somebody who really added energy to that team uh when he was there and so i think that'll be great to have him back um be excited to see him next year but obviously i think uh bigger is a guy who i'm really interested to see uh kind of develop anytime you get a guy coming from a top tier program uh like georgia it'll be really interesting to see where they go from there and what he can potentially kind of transition into as a sussex county minor and then perhaps beyond because i i always like to see how guys go from point a to point b to point c um that jump to a affiliate ball from the Sussex County Miners or anywhere in any of these leagues, Frontier, Atlantic, whatever it be, is always interesting. So I like to, you know, pick one young guy and, you know, kind of watch him as he goes on into, um, you know, hopefully uh, reaching up into higher levels. Yep. Uh, for me, it's going to be Tyler Falwell. I oh, think yeah, he has that's a good one. He is 24, so I mean, he, how long he stays there is touch and go. I think I could even see him not lasting the whole year because his contract gets purchased or he gets moved to a higher league. Yeah. I do like that he had a 313 in a more difficult league. You're going to be going to Sussex, which I mean, isn't the most hitter friendly park just because it is fairly deep. It is pretty deep, yeah. I mean, it's also going to result in a lot of kind of dink and dunky kind of hits. That's how you kind of win there. 
But I do think with the kind of ballpark they have, I think with the team that's going to be behind him, I think with the challenge he's already faced, I think he's going to even get that ERA into the twos. I think he's going to be a solid reliever. I think he's the one guy where you have to make a decision as to do you want to be kind of your Carliest model, which is just the guy you're going to go to whenever things get rough, or do you want him to be your new Ryan Newell, who's going to kind of take over in that role of being a closer? Yeah. But if you have 104 strikeouts in 74 and two-thirds innings and you only walk 35, it's that's, not bad. That's pretty darn good. Yeah, he's another one like, that's going to be really fun to watch yeah. next year. Yeah, so he's my guy to watch there. As for guys that are kind of out now, who's the one guy that you think is going to be like the biggest uh, biggest, biggest guy that's uh, going to cause the biggest hole? Uh, I would say Medeiros, right? I mean, Madero, you know, Jared Medeiros, obviously kind of a staple there for, for a while. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe he was on the championship team. Yes, he was. Uh, and so you've got, you know, a really, really good, uh, veteran presence in there. And obviously you're moving on from, from him. Uh, you will have Audi Siriaco most likely. Um, I think he's still there. And so you'll have some other guys who can kind of pick up that slack, but it'll be, uh, unfortunate to lose a guy like Medeiros, who, like I said, because of the age restriction is probably uh getting ushered out um and i think that is kind of unfortunate because you do have uh like i said that veteran presence and a guy who was there and won the championship there and it's going to be important that they tell you know learn uh these young guys learn as they come in that you know okay this is how you win right yeah. <laughs> and that's how and that's important and that's what the miners have figured out and you know to lose the guy who is part of that is uh you know ultimately difficult yeah, I agree with that entirely. He's definitely been one of those kind of glue guys that's been there a while. For me, it's it's kind of a toss here because there's a lot of names on this list that are very good. I mean, Jose Jose is one of the better oh, bullpen Jose, guys, Jose too. too so yeah. Him and Newell losing them both really hurts the bullpen a lot. Bron Seema, I would have wanted to see just what he can do because he did a lot in Rockland in a situation where... You know, he was really expected to be one of the few sources of offense. It was him and two or three other guys that really did everything on that front. So it's, un- it's unfortunate he didn't get a chance here. I would like to see that. But for me, it's Frank Duncan, the guy that if it wasn't for Philippe Amont, who could have been pitcher of the year, a solid guy. He threw a no-hitter, which, you know, uh, Marte beat him with a bag on the one play, but, you know, can overlook that. Still, he's one of the better players. He only had two or three really bad starts the whole year. And when you're there from, you know, what was it, like May 15th the season started, all the way to the end in about like September 22nd, when you're there the whole length of the year and you pitch well the whole time, you're reliable, you're dependable, you get the job done, it's going to be hard to replace that, especially as a starter. You're not, you're going to have to find a guy that really haven't brought a starter in yet. That's the one thing, if you look through all the names here, only two pitchers, and both of them are bullpen guys. So they're going to need to make a move, being that they've now lost Duncan a starter. Thompson, who's kind of alternated between being a starter and a bullpen guy, but still, they're going to need to find some guys. Now, granted, still, it's only December, about to be January, so they got plenty of time still. But uh, they're going to need to find a way to replace him. They're going to need to find a replacement bullpen, guys. Obviously, again, you make a really great point with Jose. Jose, that is another guy who really, really helped him last year. Wow, was he fantastic last year. So to lose him is uh, another uh, important piece that is going to be gone. It's kind of sad to see that in a way. Yep. I'm also looking forward to see what Andrew Gist can do. Because he was very good in the postseason, and he was very good towards the end of the year. So I want to see if he can take that kind of next step after coming out of the Empire League to see if he can maybe kind of jump up and fill that role that was vacated. So 
be it'll be an interesting team to watch. I figured it was worth spending about 20 minutes or so on talking about it. We have a lot of minor fans that listen, and a lot of these moves are very interesting to see. They are interesting moves, yeah. Because they are it very much seems like the changing of the guard here. But you do have the constants in Bobby Jones, you have the constants in Justin Fiorella, and so far that duo has managed to guide the ship to a lot of success. So oh, a ton of success. A championship two years ago and uh, almost a championship this year. So be interesting to see what they do, and we'll be watching them from now until the beginning of the season and beyond. Uh, and just one quick note on them. If you do want to try to become a minor, they have a tryout on January 20th and tryouts on April 27th and 28th. Uh, more information on the website. Obviously, I'll throw the link in the show notes that are on the website, IndieBallReport.com, under the show notes heading. Time to dust off the cleats. <laughs> you don't have knees to do yeah. that. <laughs> well, well, we'll make it an Indie Ball Report special. <laughs> I'll mic you up, send you in. Oh, gosh. That would be embarrassing. Justin, let's make this happen. <laughs> let's make it happen. All right. So now as for our long-awaited and slightly teased decade review. Ooh. So we're going to kind of look back at the past decade in independent league baseball. Obviously, a lot happens every year. So when you put 10 years together, it's just kind of wild and crazy, the happenings that go down. So let's kind of look at some of the leagues and we'll kind of do more of an almanac type thing where we'll go through the past few years and then we'll talk about some of the moments we've seen over the past 10 years, some of the bigger moments, things that stick out to us. And then we'll get to what you guys said. I asked on Instagram and Twitter, what are some of your favorite moments or biggest moments in your mind of the past decade of indie ball? And we'll go through them in just a minute. Nine leagues founded this decade of which includes four of the current leagues that still exist, four major leagues there. Uh, only two of the major leagues were not founded in this decade. They were founded in the 90s, so there was that. We saw 10 leagues fold this year, nine leagues founded this year. So it was about level, about even. We end the decade as we came in, a little bit lopsided due to the destruction of the Can-Am League. But, you know, that happens. It does happen. You'll see that happen a lot. Uh, some notable leagues that did fold in the 20-teens. We saw the Can-Am League start in 05. That folded in 2019. Or suspended operations, which means the same thing. Yep. The United League, which is probably best known for producing Max Scherzer. Yeah. It's true, yep. Yep. He was, he was a guy for a while in that league. Uh, that started in 06. It folded in 15. And then the Northern League, which is one of the granddaddy leagues. It started in 93, same time as the Frontier League. That folded in 2010. So What a shame. Exactly. It seems like a while ago, but, you know, yeah, it's just... And, you know, it's the way of independent league baseball. The ebb and flow is leagues come and leagues go, and the Can-Am League had its kind of moment in the sun, and now it's moved on. Uh, but thankfully, it wasn't really a fold as much as a merger, so that was a really good thing uh, for them. Yep. Uh, we saw a bunch of new teams start this decade. Uh, we saw Sugarland in 2012. We saw High Point just this past year. We saw Sussex County. I saw fit to include them on the major teams listing as the past two, three years have really been successful for them. They yep. really started finding their groove. They've really only had, what, about two bad seasons? Yeah. I mean, uh, like, it's been very good. And that's not bad for a new team. Exactly. Uh, Rock, the New York Rockland Boulders there. Or the New York Boulders of Rockland, or however you want to put it. However we want to count. Yep, they started the decade 2011, so right in the beginning. The Joliet Slammer, same year, they've managed to go on to win several Frontier League titles, get to the championship a couple of times. And then my favorite, Schomburg Boomers. Schomburg. One of the the first cities I butchered on this show. (laughs) 
they started in 2012, and they've also been very successful in the Frontier League as well. So those are all notable teams that were started this decade. Teams that folded this decade, though. Some real heavy stalwarts. Oh, uh, yeah. The Nork Bears, they folded. Oh, uh, goosh. 2014. They were around since 1998. So major team falls there. Another major team, River City Rascals. They went off on a Cinderella story this past year. Started in 1999. Yeah, that's a tough one, too. Fort Worth folded. The Fort Worth Cats, the Scherzer team. Yeah. They folded in 2014. They started in 01. That's another tough one. Another 01 to 2015 team. Camden River Sharks. Yeah, team. that was a tough one. That one goes down. Traverse City, 06 to 18. They went down. They just shifted leagues. Now they're the Pitts Betters, which actually have a very nice logo and whatnot. I know we, we went in on them a bit on episode one. Episode one, because they were pit spitters, but you but know, yeah, hey. it's, it turned out to be actually very nice merchandise and everything. Well, so that's good. That's Plus, good. I believe they won their league title too, so oh, it worked out it for them. It worked out for them, yeah. Yep. And then probably the most significant of all these that fell, the Bridgeport Bluefish, ninety-eight to twenty seventeen. So a real long stalwart team in the Atlantic League. Uh, I believe that was also a Bolton team as well. It was. You know, seeing a lot of these old guard kind of fall, it's almost like watching uh, old growth in a forest go down. Teams that you didn't think were ever going to drop, and then they wind up dropping. A lot of them, it wasn't their own fault. I mean, Nork's case, it was. They kind of self-destructed from the inside. But Bridgeport, they were forced out. Camden, they were forced Forced out. out, River City, I don't believe they were able to reach a lease agreement and then find ownership. So that was a bit of an issue. Um, Wichita also fell 08 to 18. They're problem was they got an affiliate team in town with a brand new ballpark so they weren't going to be able to contend with that so. yeah uh, all of all of these things they often stem as we've talked about many times from whether the town or the city wants you there and if you don't have the support of those boards and those organizations that are in the town that represent the town and the city and as we've seen time and time again it just isn't going to work out Exactly. So let's take a look at some of the notable players that have been in this in these leagues over the years, over the past decade, really. We had guys, Stephen Cardulo. You've had multiple stints. Rockland, Florence, High Point. He had Major League time. Matt Latos. How could we forget his brawl? One of the top moments there. New Jersey and Southern Maryland. Josh Smoker, a former Met. He was in Rockford back in the Frontier League days and uh, York this past year. Ryan Court, who made his debut in the major leagues this past year, he was in as the uh, Sugarland announced would say Sayu City, even though I'm almost a thousand percent positive it's Sioux City. I'm pretty sure it's Sioux City as well. Yep, and also in Sugarland too. So. Yeah. Another uh, some of the more uh, well-known guys back in the beginning part of the decade, James Paxton. Ooh, there you go. Former former Mariner, current Yankee. Yeah, solid name there. Another former Yankee that. Some may remember Chingming Wong. Yeah, Chingming Wong. There you yeah, go. Southern Maryland there. Rich Hill. We all know him. Oh, yes. He had his two games on Long Island, you know. Scott Casimir, he was in Sugarland for a little bit. We had Rene Rivera, who had multiple stops over in Camden. David Peralta, you know, he was in Grand Valley, Amarillo in Wichita. Yeah. So American Association guy. And probably the guy that would be first ballot in any sort of an indie ball hall of fame. Lou Ford. Lou Ford. We all forget. He was a major leaguer for a while. For a long time. Yeah, and then he started playing in Long Island this past decade. 
and was been there since. Yeah, and just stayed there. Exactly. He's just a, he's a solid guy. Yeah, he's he's a, one of those guys who you think may maybe never retires. Maybe he just plays until he, he's seventy. Hey, he has a good deal. He coaches. He plays. He bats three hundred at forty five. <laughs> Dude's like Ricky Anderson. He's never gonna hang him up. That's true, and I hope he doesn't. I hope he keeps going. Yeah, it's great for the game. So we'll take a look at some of the more successful teams now. I know it's been a bit almanac-like, but I warned you all that this is what it was going to be like until we get into the moment discussions. So I went through the major leagues, the three major ones as they are now, kind of four because I did do some Can-Am digging because it's only fair. Right, of course. And uh, these were the ones I thought were the most successful, starting with the American Association. And in a league called the American Association, naturally we have to talk about the Canadian team. (laughs) The Winnipeg Gold Eyes. Three trips to the finals, they walk away with three final victories. Yeah, that's pretty good. Three for three. Can't do much better than that. The Wichita Wingnuts. I was surprised at how successful they were, like looking back. The Wingnuts. Yeah. Only one championship, but five trips to the finals. Ah, uh, they're, the, they're the Bills. They're, the, they're a bit like the They're more of a jackal type, though. That's I mean, they, true. they, they only least, finally won one after going there got six one. times. Yeah, yeah, at least they got one, yeah. So then we got Long Island, obviously, oh, three, of course. three championships and seven trips. Of those seven trips, three were in a row. So, you know, it's, it's they got to be included. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Schomburg, who won three championships. So very solid decade for them. Yeah. And then probably, in what would be, in my opinion, the most successful team of the decade, Quebec. Oh, yeah. The Capital is five championships and six trips. The only one that they didn't get it to make it six for six this decade was that one against the Miners with Figueroa walking them off. Yeah, and that one was not on them, man. Let me tell you, that was some uh, magic in the air that evening. They had them. They had them dead to right, and then they just fought their way back. And that was all she wrote. Yeah, they clawed their way back. I mean, you know, the thing is that, yeah, you're right. you got some really great teams on there. Yep. Um, and then there was the Jackals, too. The right. one championship last year and six trips, of which those six trips went five in a row. Lost every single one of those. Yeah, five. that's a tough one for the Jackals. That's, that's a rough. I want to know how you come back year after year with that, and then after year three, you got to start feeling it. Oh yeah, after year two, you got to start feeling it. But yeah, I mean, definitely difficult for the Jackals there. But hey, you know what? They got their one this year, and it was hey, great makes it more sweet. It does make it more sweet, and they finally reached the mountaintop, so to speak. Um, but yeah, I think Quebec. I mean, that's domination. Five titles that in a decade. It's crazy. That's nuts. Six trips, five titles. That's is sixty percent of the the time during the decade they were in the championship game. That is craziness. That is awesome. Uh, that's just true domination for an entire decade. Exactly. You can't top that. So I think with the kind of like last five ten minutes of the show, or last five ten minutes of the show in this decade, in this Ooh. year, but this decade more Ooh, so. Look at this. I just want to kind of go through some of the moments over the past, you know, few years, past decades that you really kind of stick out with that were kind of the major ones before we get into the the fan ones. I think kind of like the benchmark moments that kind of stick out. Obviously, Figueroa's home run was one. And the first pitch. High fly! Deep right field! Up the wall! Miners are the 2018 Can-Am League champions! Martin Figueroa, a walk-off three-run home run. Obviously, that yeah. whole last ninth inning. Oh yeah, that was crazy. That that was one of those moments 
that is is what makes baseball great yeah. right i mean if you just think about uh you know just overall how many um you know great moments happen and and how that season unfolded and how the the minors have come to be it was really really awesome and so i think to to be able to have that was uh, a really awesome experience and definitely one that was for me almost a pinnacle moment of the decade uh for what i've seen live anyway uh uh-huh. for the um Independent League yeah. Baseball. The Latos fight, too, is another one. One out here, runner on second base. 2-1 Boulders after nine for completely slammed Torres. Oh. Oh, the bench is clear. Torres threw, and it's head. The bench is clear. Latos threw directly at Kevin Krause's head. Immediately, players charge out of the dugout. This is a full-flown brawl here at Yogi Berra Stadium. That's another good one. <laughs> that one was great. And we almost went to that game, too, but I was like, ah, it's kind of rainy out. Probably uh, got rained out. See, you know. And someone, oh, I don't want to drive down there for a rain see, out. See, there you go. I don't want to drive down there for a rain out. It happens. And then you got Latos scrapping it down and all that stuff. I mean, really, I put the whole Jackal Boulder rivalry on there because oh, there was yeah. that would always... You know, it was always, always cantankerous. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, there was some genuine hate there for a couple of years where it's like, ah, I can't <laughs> wait to see what's going to happen here. But that was that was always one. Uh, another one that, you know, for, for talking about just like signature hallmark events outside of leagues folding, the merger was definitely one. And that was one that uh, that we got on the Instagram page there to right. bring up mm-hmm. was talking about that merger. And I mean, we talked about it a decent bit, but really it's... I don't feel like you could overtalk it. No, you can't overtalk it. I mean, it's just like such uh, a centennial moment where it's like, this is like where it changes. It is. This is where you see this two of these bigger leagues that both serve kind of the same level of player. They're coming together. I mean, we know the Can-Am needed that more than the Frontier League did. But oh, now yes. you have this this opportunity here, and we're, we're going to see in the, over the next 10 years whether or not this is going to work out and how it's going to affect right, everything. Right, and how it's going to work and, out, yeah. And see how everything kind of goes. And yeah, it's just, it's one of those moves that it really is going to link back and go either this was a, this was the, it's going to be a big moment, but you're going to be able to see if it went towards the positive end or towards the negative end. Right, you know? absolutely. Yeah, yeah, and, and you know, there's a there's one that I, I did have, um, and it was when, uh, this was, you know, a while ago, Um but you have uh, a guy named uh, Travis Anderson. Um, okay. He was a Somerset Patriot uh, for a long time. Um, and I think it was in this decade. It might have been in the previous decade. But I want to mention it anyway. Um, and he was a fantastic catcher for a lot of years. Um, and I forget what year it was exactly. I was trying to look it up, but I couldn't find it. Um, it might be 08 or 09. So I may be pre yeah. this decade. But we'll we'll lump it in anyway just because we're doing this wrap up here. And to me, I think that this moment he actually hit a walk off uh, to win the um to win the championship for uh the Somerset Patriots one year uh and it was a just a fantastic moment uh and I happened to be there for it um and it was just a really really cool moment uh and one that I thought that even if it wasn't in this deck it was really uh something that was in a, a kind of in centennial moment for what uh ind- independent league baseball represents is getting that guy to you know who he was on the team for a lot of years he struggled and he to, finally gets and that he finally moment. gets that great moment um and so to me that was really awesome Awesome. Yep. Speaking of Atlantic League, 
we can't go without mentoring the partnership. No, we can't. How much of a landmark thing that is to get recognition from Major League Baseball to give you that sense of legitimacy. And obviously, it's come with a lot of up and downs. Obviously, how this is going to be looked back is still very much in flux as we are only a year into a three-year agreement. And it's going to be hard to judge it even after it's immediately done, despite the fact that two years from now we'll be going, man, this is such a terrible, or man, this is such a great partnership. Oh, yeah. Because that's what we do. That's what we have to do. It's our job. (laughs) (laughs) And so it's going to be hard to say, but to just have it happen, to get that sort of, to get the advanced data, to get all this stuff, even though the players can't get the advanced data because (laughs) they're not allowed to have it. How dare they have their own data? Yeah, how dare you have your own data? My God. Just to be in that position where all this is happening. And it's crazy. And then you hear, like, I was, like, it was such a surreal thing. And I know I may be overselling this, but it seriously was like a shocking thing to me to be driving in my car and have ESPN radio on or have, you know, WFAN the fan on, you know, one of the major, I believe the very first all sports radio network in New York, the largest media market in the world. And to have callers calling up and asking questions about the Atlantic League and independent league baseball, have guys saying, yeah, me and my family, we've been going to Ducks games for 15 years, yeah. for, for the past 20 years. And, you know, it's it's great fun and everything. And uh, and just to hear about and just hear it being talked on the same radio stations that cover the Jets, the Giants, the Knicks, the Rangers, you know, the Jets. Mets, Yankees, the whole exactly. thing. Exactly. They hear it on, like, up on the big time. And not, and not have it be, like, you know, some midnight hour show right some one-off you know laugh at them kind of deal yeah not the not the guy they just stick at you know midnight to four to eat innings based the inning eater of yeah, radio there you go. until you can get to you know your uh boomerang geo in the morning or whomever does your morning show you know that drive time commute hour that but to be talking about it like noon to hear it on like these the prime time slots where people are going to be in their offices hearing about it to just hear that reaction and hear everyone talking about it. And then they get that also during, like, drive time. Like, during the Michael K hour. I yeah. Like he's big enough for people, regardless oh, of where you are, will know Michael K and know his time name, slot. yeah. Yep. That, three, that 3 o'clock to about 6 o'clock hour. Or a little bit longer, like about 7. So, it gets yeah. the full drive time hour. To have that be coming up throughout the hour. And not just one or two one-offs. To have 10, 12 callers in a show that sees probably about, you know, 25 to 30 callers per to have half of them talking about it is just like mind boggling to hear them get that stage and to finally have people going, what is the Atlantic League about or what is independent league baseball? To see that it was so surreal. And at the very least, you have to admit that that was a major plus to this partnership. Yeah, it was awesome. I, I 100% agree. I think that that is really what makes the partnership important and what makes the partnership so impactful is that you have this really, really, um, it's like an, it's an event. It almost is something that just makes everybody go, Oh, that's what the Atlantic League is. If you didn't know what the Atlantic League was, now you found out, right? Like, mm-hmm. if you were a baseball fan, you had no idea what the Atlantic League was. You just found out that day when they did this partnership. Uh, and, and now you're seeing, at least for the MLB, you're seeing the fruits of this partnership, uh, come to fruition. We have yet to see it on the Atlantic League side, uh, which is unfortunate. But I mean, you've seen it maybe in attendance numbers and other mm-hmm. things. Uh, certainly it's something that I don't think is a bad thing. Anytime you can be affiliated with the Major League Baseball, uh, I think Major League Baseball is one of those things you want to kind of sink your teeth into if you can. Yeah. So I think with that, I'm not sure if you have any other moments you want to get to, so we'll just kind of quickly get to the fan ones that were tossed out there. We got the 
Mike Francoso, three-run bomb against the Ducks in the 2018 League Championship one. That just, like, that year it didn't go for the Patriots, obviously. That yeah. wound up being another Long Island final Sugarland win. But still, that moment was just such, it was built up. And then to have a guy like Francoso, which is a really, he's a genuinely good guy. A good guy, yeah. And he's been around minor league baseball for a while. To have him hit that, it makes it better because you know the guy that does that kind of a thing. It was a big one. That was a big one. And obviously, it's a it's a shame that they weren't able to come through uh, uh, you know, as a team on that. But it was definitely a big moment. Yep. Uh, another one here we have. And this is another game that we almost wound up going to, but then things got in the way and we didn't wind up getting there. Uh, Enduar Lopez is no hitter against uh, Ottawa for the Jackals. Oh, yeah, that's that's another one that, I, that we should have went to. Um, yeah, but to see, again, you don't normally see a no hitter. Normally get about no. one a year in these leagues or one every other year or so. Yeah. And to see this guy, and again, it's Ottawa. I mean, they're a perennial basement dweller. But still, to get a no hitter is such a rare feat. It is. That when it happens, you're like, oh, wow. And there's only the third one in team history when that's, it happens. So it's really mean, it's, cool, yeah. You see that happen. And again, it's a guy that's bounced around a bit. And, you know, he, he earned it. Yeah, he, he worked hard and he got it. He got it. A big moment. Big yeah. moment, no doubt. Yep. We already talked about the merger. And then the final one I got here is uh, from 2014. I believe it's May 24th, August 24th. I don't exactly remember. But it was 2014. Matt Sergi, or Sergey, I'm be- not sure which it would be, but, you know, it doesn't matter. We always mispronounce things on the show. Yeah, yeah. He's currently with High Point. He was with the A's after this, but before he was with High Point, before he was with the A's, before any of that, he threw the first and, to date, only perfect game in Frontier League history. A league that's been around since before either one of us was born, since 1993. Ooh. A nearly 30-year-old league. Just turned 25, so he'll be 30 fairly soon on. Yeah. Only guy to throw a perfect game. How many How many times do you even see a perfect game in baseball? Let oh, alone. Yeah. A perfect game, 27 up, 27 down. That is the essence of baseball. Immortality is throwing that perfect game, and it's just awesome to have that experience to see that uh you know is really really cool so i think that's that one is a big one that's a, that's a good one that's a real good one yeah and you see then what that happened it then enabled him to get signed to a major league team now yep. it didn't work out but then he still comes back he's in high point and you know at the end of the day he's still a very strong pitcher he's one of the better pitchers for high point last year the guy is very talented and, and no, nobody can take that perfect game away from him. Exactly. Nobody else will ever be able to take that away from him. That is a moment he will remember for the rest of his life. Yep. And how many guys can say, I threw a perfect game at any level? Not many. Maybe 200, 500 yeah. at most. Maybe, yeah. Just going back through all of baseball, to throw a perfect game is such a rarity. It is. That it doesn't matter what level. That's one of those achievements. That doesn't really matter what level it's on. It's it, a big deal. It's going to be a big deal because you still... Just to put 27 guys on, because just on sheer luck. Oh, yeah. Or if you just have a bad at bat, where you just throw a couple wild pitches and then you get jobbed on a call or two. Oh, yeah. And, you know, you, you walk the guy. Everything's got to go right. Exactly. Or you just lose control of one and you, you hit the guy. You know, just to be able to do that is just such a, an amazing feat. So, it is. It really is. Yep. And so with a perfect game, there's no more perfect way 
to end off the year of shows that we've done, to end off 2019 and the 20 teens in general. So I will plug now, and we will put any final thoughts we have, and then we will get out of here for the final time in 2019. And Next time we speak, we will be in a new decade. And it will be in a new decade. We'll be in a new frontier of the Frontier League. And uh, I'm really excited to see all the new baseball that's coming to us in 2020. And uh, make, fo- make sure you follow Pinch the Blue Crab on all your social media sites. You mentioned Pinch just so I can tag him in the things, correct? Yes. Okay, yeah, very good. Very good. So you can find the show on iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google Play, really anywhere you can find podcasts. We're available there. You can find our articles, our videos, our podcasts, our show notes, anything that's related to us on the website, www.indieballreport.com. You can find us all there. Now, let's say you just want the videos. Well, go to YouTube and subscribe to the YouTube channel, Indie Ball Report Podcast on YouTube. Once we hit 300 subscribers, then I can change from the random series of numbers and letters that are at the end of it to just Indie Ball Report or Indie Ball Report Pod or whatever it may be. So that way it makes it a lot easier to find it. So we'd appreciate if you go and subscribe there. Now, if you want to find us on social media to get all the quick breaking information, transaction information, participate in polls or opinion questions, suggest ideas, anything of that sort in nature, you can go to Twitter, Indie Ball Pod on Twitter. Or you could go to us on Instagram, Indie Ball Report on Instagram. And You'll see all that there. You'll see also creative little graphic projects and also the title cards in full, all that jazz. You know, the standard deal there. Or if you don't want to do any of that but you still want to contact us, be sure to use our email, IndieBallReport at gmail.com. And that's all the plugs we really got. I can't think of anything else. Do you have anything else to add? Nope, nothing else. So with that being said, nothing left, nothing else left to add. For the final time in 2019, the final time this decade, don't forget to play ball.